So today I'm really focusing on an event that occurred in Billings on November 9th, 1917, uh, the public humiliation of three Billings citizens. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, uh, the temperature in Billings at that time before this event occurred, and then also how it was received, not only in uh, the town of Billings, but also in the state and even nationwide as well. So um, some of the war efforts that were going on at this time, uh, of course, the Red Cross was very successful. Uh, the YMCA also had very successful drives as well. Uh, there was food conservation going on at this time in Billings. Uh, war gar gardens were heavily um, uh, advertised as well. Um, and also uh, a big key that becomes a big factor of, into this event is the Liberty Loan drives that occur in town. Uh, and so, like I said, the temperature before this time, um, this is just, these are just five articles that I pulled of, of many, many that were actually reported at the time. Uh, what was happening in Billings, not related to the war, uh, actually one of the head uh, gates to the city water supply had broken. Uh, citizens were told to boil their water for at least three weeks, um, and the advertisement for that was for fear of death or communicable diseases. Uh, so that was happening, and of course communicable diseases, a small Pox was going through town, uh, scarlet fever as well, the flu was also going through town at this time, um, and also there was a, um, a strike occurring at the sugar factory uh, in Billings, uh, and the sheriff had given his, uh, um, his uh, group, I guess you could say, uh, the authority to shoot uh, anyone who was aggressive towards the factory or who looked suspicious around the factory. So we had that going on. Um, related, of course, to the war efforts, uh, citizens were asked to report any enemies or any suspicious behavior that they saw in town. Um, and also, uh, probably one of my favorites that I found, uh, we had a mystery flyer that flew over, a plane that flew over town. Uh, and this uh, reporting occurred right actually after Helena had one as well. And uh, the way the article is written, it's uh, Billings kind of says, you know, we are not to be outdone by Helena. We have enemies flying over Billings as well. <laughs> So uh, as I said, we did have uh, those drives, uh, Liberty Loan drives uh, that occurred. After the second Liberty Loan drive, there was a committee formed in town called the Third Degree Committee. Um, and its intent was to find anybody who did not purchase uh, any Liberty Loans or also um, did not purchase enough Liberty Loans compared to their means. Uh, and so what they decided to do was go after any of these citizens who uh, did not participate, and um, if they did not purchase, this is what they uh, would do. Immediate steps would be taken to bring about their expulsion, these citizens, from any lodge, church, or club. If in business, a legal boycott will be inaugurated. If a public office holder, resignation will be demanded. The committee will take advantage of the offer of the press of Billings to publish in a prominent place the names of all such slackers that in the community may henceforth distinguish between American and German sympathizers in Yellowstone County. 
The editorial uh, of this uh, same day here, this is October 25th, 1917, the editorial states, there'll be gloom among those who fail to contribute. Yes, there'll be more than gloom, for the names of those who do not subscribe are to be flaunted so publicly that their owners will find the darkest corner of the world far too brilliantly lighted for them. <laughs> and this is just a very, right, very obvious um, uh, 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 statement of saying not purchasing bonds within Yellowstone County uh, not only made you un-American, you were pro-German, and therefore not worthy to be a part of the community in Yellowstone County. And so all of this leads up to that November 9th event. Uh, this article was actually printed on the front page of the uh, daily, uh, Billings Daily uh, Evening Journal. Uh, and so uh, it was decided by this third degree committee to lay a firm hand on pro-German sentiment in Billings in order to prevent violence on the part of patriotic citizens later. So what exactly occurs, we'll walk through this here. So what the third degree committee does is they end up going to actually a city council meeting in Billings original uh, city hall there on the left. Um, and the mayor at the time, William Johnston, actually uh, paused the city council meeting and allowed one of the third degree committee men to speak. His name was Thomas Arthur. Uh, and this is uh, his, uh, his speech to the council. We have a limited quota of citizens who, through traitorous words and deeds, have made themselves, in the op opinion of citizens I represent, highly undesirable as members of this community. We appear before you tonight to ask for the resignation of one of your members as a councilman. At this point, he then turns to said councilman and says, Mr. Schwanz, we do not believe that when you made your oath of allegiance to the United States government, you meant a word of your promise. If this country depended on such men as you for salvation in any crisis, we tremble for the safety of this great nation. So a little bit about Herman Schwanz. Uh, he was a blacksmith on the south side of Billings. He actually immigrated to the United States from Germany at the age of two uh, to Wisconsin. Uh, and then he ended up moving to Billings in about uh, the mid-1890s. And he was a city councilman. He actually ran um, uh, three times. He won twice, uh, 1909 and, of course, 1916, uh, which brings us to this city council meeting. Uh, what he was accused of by the board is that he did not purchase any Liberty Bonds. Uh, the committee actually suggested that city council members were required to buy um, a $5,000 worth of Liberty Bonds, which in today's money is $90,000. And I think it's pretty safe to say that Mr. Schwann said, I didn't have that money in order to do that. Um, and so he ends up responding to these accusations and saying, there is no man living who can truthfully say I have done or said anything inimical to the United States. I have lived in Billings 22 years and have been a good citizen and a man among men. Uh, his statement was then emphatically denied, it says, um, by another chairman, actually the chairman of the third degree committee, Ole King Grimstad. Um, and uh, after this, Schwann's realized he's got kind of a losing battle going on here. So he tries to verbally resign from the city council. Um, that wasn't good enough for the council, so they did have him write down his resignation. Uh, after that, the city council voted um, on his resignation, and it was unanimously decided to allow him to resign uh, from the council. 
the second gentleman they go after, um, Arthur, the uh, man who's speaking to the city council, he then announced that Mr. Ohm, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, I didn't take German, so <laughs> Mr. Ohm uh, would be compelled to resign from the State Board of Architectural Examiners. Uh, he was a, a local architect in town, uh, and this is what Mr. Arthur accuses him of. Uh, we have determined that the time has come to wipe from this fair city of ours the activities of this man, whose office, we are reliably informed, is the recognized headquarters for every German spy and propagandist passing through Billings. Mr. Ohm, we are told, carried on a persistent campaign to secure a commission in the United States Army, drawing maps of forts and military details. In the light of Mr. Ohm's evident sympathies, uh, it is not difficult to forecast to what use these maps might be put to the infinite harm of the United States. Um, about Mr. Ohm, I, I don't have a photo, unfortunately, um, but he did come to the United States in 1904 from Germany. Uh, he became a citizen in 1910. Uh, he was a manager, uh, actually, for the architectural firm Link and Hare, very well-known architects around here. Um, and after uh, uh, working for them for quite a while on some pretty major projects, he opened up his own firm uh, in 1909 in the Stapleton building, shown here, uh, right in the heart of downtown Billings. Uh, and the Gazette ends up reporting about him opening his own business. It's a bit ironic, and they say he has been connected with the firm of Lincoln Hare for two years, and during that time he has made many friends among the people of Billings. Uh, he should be able to continue his success in town. Some of the projects uh, that he uh, had done uh, specifically in buildings, uh, he designed the Taft uh, Elementary School on the south side of town, the bottom left there. Uh, he also did Broadwater School, uh, just recently renovated, very beautiful school. Uh, he also uh, designed the garage for the Enterprise uh, Taxi Company, uh, shown there at the top. Um, he also was responsible for designing businesses and homes in the town of Powell, Wyoming. Uh, and he also did the extension to the Chamber of Commerce building uh, in towns as well. And again, another great uh, irony here, uh, in 1914, he was elected by the city of Billings to be the Grand Marshal of the July 4th Parade. <laughs> um, so, uh, as I said, he was the president of the State Architectural Board. Um, and he also, uh, in reference to uh, Arthur's claims that he had pushed for this public service, uh, an article here you'll see October 29th on the right, uh, he did be serve uh, um, uh, for the United States Army or applied to serve. Uh, and if he was going to be stationed here in the United States, he would have been responsible for designing forts and barracks, uh, things along those lines. But there also was a possibility he would be sent to France, uh, where he would be in charge of taking aerial photographs and drawing them um, on top of maps for the uh, in, uh, government. Um, and also, uh, uh, with his service, the United States gave him a, a pendant to wear around town for that as well. So what kind of gets Ohm in trouble <laughs> is uh, his second divorce. Uh, he was married in 1902, divorced in 1909. He remarries in 1912 and gets divorced in 1917, where in his divorce proceedings, uh, his wife accuses him of being a pro-German sympathizer, uh, that he did serve in the military in Germany, uh, and she claimed that he never let go of that passion for his homeland and a great title to that article, he was too German for his wife. 
So um, here's a photo here of his oath of allegiance that was in his uh, naturalization papers. Um, but to the claims that Mr. Arthur makes against him, he says, I am astounded at such a request. When I came to this country and became a citizen, I forwarded my naturalization papers to Germany with the request that my name be stricken from the military roles there. It is a mistake to accuse me of being a German sympathizer. This fell on deaf ears, as we know. Um, so they uh, did require him to repeat his oath of allegiance to the United States. Um, and then he uh, was forced to carry the American flag at the head of the procession of not only the third degree committee, uh, the city council members, but also citizens that had gathered uh, downtown at this time. And he led the procession um, to the Western Telegraph office, uh, where he was forced to send in his resignation to Governor Stewart. Uh, after this, uh, the third degree committee and, like I said, other citizens end up gathering in the Grand Hotel, which is, uh, again, in, kind of in the heart of downtown. They pat themselves on the back a little bit, and then they go after our third gentleman here. Uh, this is uh, Edward Courtsborn Sr. was actually the, um, the man who was accused next. Uh, this is a photo of his son. Um, but uh, what actually ends up happening is the delegation goes to the home of the Courtsborns uh, before they uh, uh, go ask Mr. Ohm to resign. Um, so they go to his home. Uh, he's not there. So they tell his wife to have uh, him meet the uh, committee in the lobby of the Northern Hotel. Um, and so after they do that, they go and talk to Ohm. Um, and then after they're done, like I said, uh, spending their time at the Grand, they go to the Northern, uh, and that's actually where Edward Courtsborn Jr. was, and he steps in for his father. Uh, they have him instead uh, plead uh, the oath or uh, restate the oath again um, and kiss the American flag uh, there as well. So uh, his uh, accusation was that uh, he tore up a liberty bond uh, in front of one of the, um, the people out um, canvassing, if you will. Um, I think these are uh, great examples of what that third degree committee uh, originally sent out to do. They did have two gentlemen resign from public office, and they also used uh, Mr. Quartzborn here as an example uh, to the citizenry of Billings of what could happen uh, just uh, if you were even outside um, of that realm. So the next day um, is uh, uh, this article here, Seekers After Sensation Fooled. Uh, you can imagine uh, there was quite the, the hype um, excitement, a lot of um, emotion happening in downtown Billings at this time. Um, hundreds of citizens gathered in the lobbies of the Northern and also in the Grand Hotel. Um, and also crowds formed in neighborhoods in Billings outside of homes of, of potential pro-German sympathizers waiting for the committee to come down their way so that they can continue this kind of raid, if you will. Um, but what's interesting about this is Thomas Arthur, the, the main guy kind of uh, running the show, I guess you could say, he ends up saying this in this article. He says, our aim is not to stop German propaganda through the use of rowdy or rough tactics. We propose doing nothing violent and will countenance no violent actions by any other body of citizens, no matter how well-meaning they might be. We intend, however, to put a stop to alleged German activities in this city through dignified, peaceful measures. Now, I think that's very nice to say, and, but what's interesting is this article here, Seekers After Sensation Fooled, is right next to this next article that I'm going to show you. Um, Congressman John M. Evans was actually in Billings while this happened. 
Uh, and he has a complete polar opposite uh, take on this event uh, compared to Arthur's statements. As you can say, it's a little bit well uh, more advertised, I think you can say, compared to the article just next to it. Um, and he uh, ends up re um, I'm saying he expressed a hearty approval of the action that was taken in town. Uh, and he goes on to say the patriotic citizens now are beginning to realize that there is no room in this country for the man or woman who is not wholeheartedly with the government of the United States. Today there can be no middle ground. You must either be for the government with your whole heart and soul or else you are against it. I venture to predict that disloyal statements and actions of pro-German residents will result in the standing of each person against a blank wall with a firing squad in front of them. The editorial uh, of this uh, same day, the same paper, uh, mirrors his statement exactly. The editorial says, some time ago, the journal, the Billings Evening Journal, advised aggressive patriotism as a commendable thing. The journal amends that now. Aggressive patriotism is not only commendable, but it is necessary to the welfare of any person in Billings or elsewhere in America. In reference to pro-German citizens, it goes on to say, they must be stripped of everything that America gave them. They must be interned if they are suspected as an active material menace. They must be placed between a blank wall and a firing squad if they actually commit acts of warfare in the United States. A blood and iron policy is a bundle to us, a free people. But blood and iron policies win wars. America has a war to win. And so, uh, like I said, locally, that's kind of the sentiment in town. These people were praised as heroes. Um, and also, uh, it's not just in Billings. This event was also reported uh, throughout Montana and throughout the United States as well. There's reports in um, Nevada, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Washington, D.C. also picks up on this uh, too. Um, and I think it's also important to point out that Red Lodge, Bear Creek, and Laurel all form third degree committees uh, with Billings in mind after our actions in town. Um, uh, kind of, uh, it was also noted as a great advertisement of Billings uh, at this time. Um, a sailor wrote back to the journal commending uh, the citizens of Billings, saying that we really helped bolster the front lines, the spirits of the, the men on the front lines. Um, a visitor from Minneapolis said that he had heard uh, uh, of our town uh, all the way um, in Minnesota, or Minneapolis, yeah. Um, and then also, uh, Dr. Allen, who was a dentist in town, he's going on business to Chicago, uh, and he writes to the journal, he says, the flo floor walker at the Morrison Hotel in Chicago wanted to know if the Billings I came from was the third degree Billings of Montana. He said it was the best advertised town in the West. And so uh, when the third degree committee was formed, it was formed of originally five members. Um, the chairman of it was Ol King Grimstad. Uh, he was a lawyer in town. Uh, the second gentleman was George Benninghoff. He was the proprietor of the Grand Hotel where a lot of this uh, kind of event occurred. Um, Lee Simonson as well, he was a wool, uh, a wool, uh, guy, a rancher, livestock kind of guy. Um, T.J. McDonough, he was a manager at uh, the grocery store Stone Ordian and Wells Company. And there was also Harry L. Wilson, who was also a lawyer in town. 
after this event um, on November 16th, they do end up expanding um, this committee to 25 members now. Um, and they claim it was enlarged in order that no patriotic class of citizens would be underrepresented. Um, they also were granted the use of, uh, this is a post office uh, in downtown Billings, their use of the federal courtroom uh, in the post office in order to conduct these uh, seditious hearings. Um, and also, uh, their headquarters was in the Montana Power Company building. Of course, the Montana Power Company uh, was owned by John D. Ryan, who was very uh, high up, right, in the Anaconda Copper Company. Uh, and it turns out, so the Anaconda Copper, Copper Company, excuse me, uh, also owned the Billings Gazette, and therefore owned the subset, the Billings Evening Journal, where these editorials are pulled from. Um, I think it's also important to note, drawing a bunch of connections here, uh, that uh, the offices of Grimstad, Wilson, both on the committee, and also the mayor at this time, were all in the Montana Power Company building as well. So we finally get to 1918. Uh, this was the... Uh, a comic that was drawn at the front page of the journal. Uh, of course, we know the Montana State Sedition Act is going to pass uh, shortly here. Um, the editorial uh, in um, Billings uh, talking about the Sedition Act says, the journal hopes this law will be sufficiently rigid to forever silence the dangerous voices of Montana pro-German lunatics and pacifist idiots. The state has endured their noxious preachments too long. And uh, shortly after this, we uh, know there's another Liberty Loan Drive that's going to occur in town. Uh, a new committee is formed. Uh, it was actually a part of this new uh, war chest plan that Yellowstone County had developed. It was called the Yellowstone County War Service League. And each different uh, groups were all uh, represented at this um, uh, the, this group, I guess you could say, um, including a new committee uh, that even uh, increased their role uh, in Billings at this time. And of course, the temperature in Billings does not change. Uh, these are advertisements for, um, on the February 27th one, that one's about using bread, but you can see very clearly what the point is of that ad. Um, the, also, the one on the right is actually from the Great Western Sugar Company. Uh, the, uh, what they're ending up showing is what Germans would use to beat um, any fallen American soldiers. Uh, so again, pulling off of that fear that was already occurring um, in March, uh, of 1918, German is no longer taught in schools, and we know uh, in April, April 22nd is when the Montana Council of Defense you know, really pushes that anti-German language. Um, and then, of course, the fear also, uh, the big arrests that I think more people know about are the arrests of a gentleman of the name Ben Kahn and Herman Bosch uh, in our area as well. So, uh, I always like to end with a continuing research because uh, when I was doing this research, what we had physically in collections, uh, we had the dates from August 1917 to April of 1918. So that's what I was really able to dive in and kind of get that information. Um, but what I would really like to be able to do is start from the beginning of the war, even maybe before that, 
and be able to dig through those archives and also into the 1920s where we know that a lot of um, sedition trials were happening. Um, also dig into those sugar factory strikes a little bit more. The journal just barely even reports on them. I kind of found them hidden on like page five down in the you know bottom corner kind of thing. Um, to talk about that a little bit more. Um, other arrests did occur in town um, and there were some more violent arrests than what happened on November 9th. Uh, just to follow through on that a little bit. Of course, I, have to, I need to get biographies on the third degree uh, committee, the members of that committee, and also the members of the second committee that ended up being formed. And I think uh, really importantly is to look at the Wobblies influence in Billings. They were in Billings at this time. Um, but uh, one thing I think is so unique to the history of Billings is that we're not a mining town, we're not a logging town. So to have, um, that, have the Wobblies present in Billings, I don't think is as much as a pull as it would have been as in Butte or Missoula. Um, so if, were they just in Billings just to build recruitment? Were they there to, of course, go to the neighboring communities of Bear, Bear Creek and Red Lodge to try to recruit there? Um, and, and kind of going off of that, I think Billings sometimes gets forgotten in um, the big uh, context of Montana history because we don't have that, I like to call it the sexy history that Butte might have. Um, but uh, it's with such an integral core piece, you know, the largest city in eastern Montana, and to really see the influence that Billings does have on that region of Montana. So thank you. Thank you.